It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. What a journey this has been. What a phenomenal journey together, discovering the revelation of the grace of God and our calling to be heirs together of the grace of life. This is the third episode in that series, and I hope you have been enriched by it. I know it's a way of reawakening these truths in my life as I share them with you, and it just blesses me beyond description. Now, I've saved some of the best revelation for this last episode. If you haven't heard the other two, then you can go back later and listen to them because I'm going to lay a foundation in this uh, teaching that will be sufficient for you to go with me into the depth of what I have to share. Grace is unmerited love. It's also divinely imparted ability. It's the abundant generosity of God toward us. It's the activity of God in our lives. Everything God is doing in us, for us, through us, and because of us, it's all the grace of God. And it all hinges on three attitudes that we have. Faith, humility, and sincere love. By grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. First Peter 5, 5 says God gives grace to the humble. And then also Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus in sincerity. So, if you've got faith, humility, and sincere love, there's a river of grace that pours into your life that is inexhaustible. Praise God. Now, here is an important and interesting fact. The Old Testament ends with the word curse. But the New Testament ends with the statement, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Think of that. What a vast difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It goes from the word curse to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So Jesus took us from God's law to God's love in a very pronounced way. Certainly, Both are part of the same Bible, and both are complementary, and both are necessary. You needed to know the impossibility of fulfilling the law so that you could appreciate the enormity of what grace really is in your life. And so the two are fused together, but still we're living in the New Covenant era, and we need to remind ourselves of that. Now let's go to the original languages. There's some rich revelation contained in this portion of the teaching. The Hebrew word that is translated grace is Cain, C-H-E-N. It comes from another word. It stems from another Hebrew word, konan, which means to stoop down or to bend down in order to show kindness to an inferior. Well, I'm sure you agree with me. We are all inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a huge gap between his holiness, our holiness, his righteousness, our righteousness, his strength, our strength, his wisdom, our wisdom. In order for him to move in our lives, he's got to stoop down really low. 
but it reminds me of the story of Jesus stooping down or kneeling down next to the adulterous woman, the woman that was caught in the very act, and saying, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That was a demonstration of the grace of God right then and there. And the religious legalists wanted the woman dead. They were ready to stone her. And if the law had prevailed in that situation, the stoning would have taken place. But the law came by Moses, yet grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, neither do I condemn thee, but he added, go and sin no more. So grace delivers you from the sin of your past, but launches you into a life that is pleasing to God. The first appearance of the word grace in the Old Testament. Do you know when it happened first, when it was demonstrated or declared first in Scripture? Genesis chapter 8 verse 6 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That speaks to my heart. I know Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and much of the reason he was delivered from the flood was because he really upheld righteous standards in his life when the rest of the world was just given over to debauchery and uncleanness. However, he was not good enough to be rescued from the flood by his own works, by his own goodness. No way. So not only did God rescue him because of his commitment to righteous principles, but God rescued him because of grace, because of unmerited love poured out on his life and the lives of his loved ones. One of the next occurrences in the Old Testament of the word grace is a very important place where Israel had fallen back into idolatry after having heard the voice of God speak from Mount Sinai and give the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, beginning with the statement, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the next, you shall not make any graven image. They broke the first of those Ten Commandments. The first two, they just disregarded completely. And when Moses was up in the mountain for 40 days, they brought their earrings and gold necklaces and and anklets and, and jewelry to Aaron and said, make us a God that will go before us. And he fashioned a calf. Why a calf? Have you ever wondered why that that was the God they worship? Because the cow is the domestic beast that more than any other beast, serves mankind, pulling wagons, pulling plows, providing meat for those who are meat eaters, of course. Uh, And so it represents, I believe, a God that will serve us. We want our needs met. And so we want a God like the cow that is a servant to humankind. They didn't want a God they had to serve in righteousness and obedience to his laws. But they broke it. They broke that commandment. They took a false god. They made an image of that false god and could have suffered much worse consequences. But Moses went into the mountain and listened to what transpired as he prayed. 
in Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. Now, therefore, I pray, Moses said, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Yes, they've fallen into egregious behavior, horrible sin. But he said, if I may find grace in your sight, he's interceding to draw the grace of God down into this situation. He said, consider that this nation is your people. And I look over the United States of America, my nation, and I see a lot of uncleanness, a lot of wickedness, a lot of ungodliness, a lot of denial of God's word and denial of the power of the name of Jesus and blasphemous things said about the Bible. And yet, I say, God, consider the Puritans that made a covenant with you when they landed at Plymouth Rock. Consider those who have been righteous and those who are still righteous in various areas of the United States that are still praying, that are still seeking your face, that are still fasting. And listen to what God said. God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses responded, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So that statement that Moses made really reveals two signs of the presence of grace in a person's life. First, it separates you from the rest of the world as a unique person, as a blessed person, as a person who understands the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, where the world is oblivious to those things. You're so graced, is the word for it. You're so graced to be separate, to be strangers and pilgrims in this world. But it also is an indication that God is with you. That's evidence that grace is in your life. Evidence that you are an heir of the grace of life, that God's presence is not only with you, but in you. For the Israelite people, the presence of God was with them, but the presence of God is in you. No wonder you are set apart from all other people in this world. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, his own special people, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that's the Old Testament, and that's the Hebrew word translated grace. Now the primary word in the New Testament translated grace is charis, that's C-H-A-R-I-S. And it's from a root word, kario, that means to rejoice or to be full of joy. Because if you have been filled with the grace of God, one of the automatic outcomes of that is you can have joy in a world full of depression. You can have hope in a world full of despair. You can rejoice when everyone else says there's nothing to be happy about. But you're connected to grace, and grace gives you divine insight 
because of divine oversight, you have divinely imparted insight that things are going to get better. All things are going to work together for good, for your good, because you love God. Now, grace comes into your life two main ways. Think of this. How did God ever transmit grace into your life? When did it arrive in your life in a very manifested way? And how did it arrive in your life in a very manifested way? There's two means by which God does that. Number one, the word of his grace. Acts 20.32 uses that as a reference to the sum total of the word of God and the revelation that was brought forth in the new covenant by the apostles. Listen to what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. He said, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word sanctified means to be cleansed from the defilement of sin and separated unto God for his holy use. And Paul, in essence, was saying, I put you into the hands of the God of all grace and the word of his grace, which will build you up when the world is tearing you down, when demonic powers are trying to tear you down, when your own mind sometimes tears you down. The word of his grace will build you up and it will give you an inheritance. So you need to dig into the Bible. Quit watching so much TV if you happen to be too addicted to programs on the television and start digging into the Word of God and find out what your inheritance is. Because if you don't know what it is, you cannot claim it. And the Word of His grace will reveal it to you. The other means by which God transmits grace into your life is through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of grace is a name for the Holy Spirit in Zechariah 12.10. Actually, this particular chapter is talking about the last days when a major battle will ensue against Israel, against Jerusalem, when many nations will be gathered together against Jerusalem to battle. But God said, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Supplication is a very intense way of appealing to God in prayer pleading with God in prayer, supplication. And grace empowers you to make supplication because you couldn't pray effectively and you couldn't pray in a receivable way. You couldn't access the presence of God were it not for grace. So the automatic outcome of grace is the ability to pray and to get results when you pray. God said, I will pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication And they will look on me whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only begotten son. That just grabs my heart. What a demonstration of grace that after 2,000 years of many people in the Jewish nation rejecting Jesus' claim to Messiahship at that critical moment in the last days when it it looks like Israel is going to be wiped off the map. God is going to reveal himself. Jesus is going to pull back the veil and show them the hands and the feet that were nail pierced and that he did it for them. And there's going to be a mass conversion. I believe my faith is that there will be multiplied hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jewish people converted 
right at the end of this age. Praise God. That's grace. That's grace. That's the spirit of grace. So by the word of grace and by the spirit of grace, God introduces grace into our lives. Can we receive God's grace in vain? Or can we fail of the grace of God? Yes, we can. There's two scriptures that declare it. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, We then as workers together with him plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then it goes on to exhort them to live a holy life. And of course, the Corinthian church had some real problems in their midst that they had to deal with. Then also Hebrews 12 verses 15 and 16 says, Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's the New King James Version. The King James says, lest any man fail of the grace of God. How can you fail with something so amazing as grace being poured into your life? Listen to the rest. Looking diligently, carefully, lest any person fail or fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause you trouble. In other words, by being bitter at others and unforgiving toward others, you cut off the flow of grace in your own life. If you can't give grace, you can't receive grace. And we're going to go more into that in the next episode when we find out what it is to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. You have to be generous in giving grace to others if God continues to be generous in giving grace to you. Otherwise, you fail of the grace of God. And then the writer of Hebrews went on to say, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Your birthright is the grace of God if you're born again. Don't sell your birthright by indulging in the flesh. Now, if you do, God can rescue you if you humble yourself again and believe and sincerely respond in love toward him and seek to keep his commandments above all. You can be restored. Grace is God's restoration power. And I believe it's fitting that I take you to the next part of this teaching that Paul reveals to us in a struggle that he had in his own life. He said there was a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, and he sought God three times to remove it from him. And God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. I've heard sermon after sermon on what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, this messenger of Satan. Well, let me give you my little stance on it. A messenger is one who brings a message. And so I don't believe it was an eye problem. Some people say because of the vision he had where he was blind for three days after seeing the brilliance of God's presence, that he had a lingering problem that continued on in his life. I don't believe that because it was a messenger of Satan that brought a message. Well, the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and the demons who work under him are of the same mindset. They come to accuse the sons and daughters of God. They accuse you to God. They accuse God to you. They accuse you to others. They accuse others to you. And they accuse you to yourself. Five ways those accusations fly. And so other people were saying, how can Paul be saved? He was the one that murdered Christians. So others were accusing him. 
And then the enemy would accuse God to him. God couldn't forgive you. How could he forgive the horrible, atrocious things you did? Then they would accuse Paul to himself. Accusations flying around him like hornets flying around his head. And he said, God, please take this away from me. I'm sure he was about to just lose his mind over the pressure. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, when he was chopped down to a place of feeling completely incapable and insufficient within himself to do anything significant for the kingdom of God, that was a good place to be. Because that's when God's power could abundantly move through him and he wouldn't take any credit for it. And so maybe that's what God was talking about. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will rather boast most gladly, he said, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, I'm not going to take credit for any goodness or any righteousness in my life. It's all the grace of God. Sometimes mental battles and emotional battles beat you down to that place where actually you can access grace better because as long as you think you can take credit for being such a good speaker, such a good singer, such a good musician, such a good student of the Bible, such a good representative of the gospel in your community, and you kind of build yourself up with uh, self-admiration, it's not a good thing. You, you need to be reminded it's all the grace of God. And I'm sure you have your own battles. That's why Paul said, I take pleasure. What a statement. He said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What an enigma. What a mystery. Mm. Next, we need to grow in grace. How? Do you grow in grace? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 exhorts us to grow in grace. Two ways. By widening our view of the grace that we can receive from God and by widening our ability to give grace to others. Seek for opportunities to give grace away. And who do you give grace to? People that don't deserve it. That means you don't just love those who love you or do good to those who do good to you. I'll cover this more in the next podcast. So you enlarge the territory of grace in your life by giving to people you normally would withhold from. Giving kindness. Giving opportunity for restoration. Giving opportunity to redeem themselves. Or however you need to do it. That's how you grow in grace. Inwardly and outwardly. Praise God. Now I come to a powerful, powerful scripture. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He went through the first heaven, which is the atmosphere around the earth and the cosmic uh, worlds beyond, the universe beyond. The second heaven is a spiritual realm just above this one, where there's much angelic and demonic activity. And then the third heaven is paradise. And Jesus, the Bible said, passed through the heavens. He went through the realm of the devil's activity all the way up to the paradise realm of God. 
And it says, because of that, we should hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, I love the word therefore. When I find the word therefore, I want to find out what it's there for. And in this instance, we find out that the high priest who is one who represents man to God, is on the throne as judge. So if the one judging you is the one who's working to make you innocent in the sight of heaven, then you've got it made. And since the high priest, the one who intercedes for us always, that we will make it, that we will survive, that we will be restored when we need it and renewed day by day, If that great high priest is seated on the throne ruling over our lives, we can have confidence. And it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why don't you lift your hand right now and say, here's one, Lord. I'm in a time of need. Let the grace of God flow. Because see, If it's a throne of grace, and the book of Revelation says a river proceeds out of that throne, I would dare to say that's a river of grace. And that river will flow into your life abundantly. Praise God. Let me show you how this is going to extend from time into eternity. Did you hear that? This grace of God and the message, the beauty of the message, the glory of the message is going to extend beyond the boundaries of time into eternity. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, the grace book of Paul's writings, starting with verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He didn't just tolerate you or me. He loved you with great love. Think of that great love. Not just love this as well. They're asking to be saved. I guess I need to great love that says, oh, this is my opportunity to lift them out of the muck and the mire of sin. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, listen to this, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you will be a demonstration of the enormity of the power of grace for all eternity. You will be the example. I will be the example. The whole body of Christ, the church of the living God, will be an example for all eternity of the power of what grace can do. That in the ages to come, he might show, that he might reveal, that he might manifest the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. That he would take us from the depths of sin to becoming heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, reigning with him, inheriting all things, kings and priests in the kingdom which is yet to come, ruling over a restored new creation. Wow. That God would take you from the very dregs of the universe to the highest place, sharing the throne of the Almighty, because he that overcomes, Jesus said, will sit with me in my throne. No wonder it's called a throne of grace. Praise God. 
So I have one last scripture and then I'm going to end. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Quit being so easily defeated in your thinking. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's talking about the second coming. Because the word translated revelation there is apocalypsis. And apocalypsis is the word from which we get the word apocalypse, which is the coming of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, the translation of the living believers, the end of the age, God destroying the world and birthing a brand new world out of it. Praise God. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are heirs together of the grace of life. Start saying, I claim my inheritance. I want my inheritance. Let it manifest in my life. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.